Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. Welcome to the Veterans Path Podcast. I'm John McCaskill, your host, and today my guest is Peter Durand. Peter is a speaker, a serial entrepreneur, and a podcaster focused on helping leaders and entrepreneurs bring emotional intelligence, empathy, and mindfulness to developing teams. We're going to find out a lot more about Peter here in a second, but first, here's a plug for our awesome sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Past Life. Life can change at any moment. Are you prepared? The grief a family feels upon losing loved ones is difficult enough, but the days, weeks, and months that follow are filled with stressful decisions. Past Life is a single solution, secure, cloud-based platform where funeral preparations, last wishes, will information, financial assets, business continuation information, social media account information, etc. can be uploaded to the recipients of the user's choosing. Past Life allows you to alleviate the stress and lift the fog for your loved ones, primarily by giving them a vital trove of information in multiple areas. Veterans Path podcast listeners can save 10% by using the code PATH at checkout. Learn more at pastlife.com. That's pass-life.com. Past Life. Pass your loved ones a lifeline. Welcome to the show, Pete. It's nice to be here, John. Great. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, great to have you, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to the show and uh, I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better. I appreciate you reaching out on LinkedIn and uh, I appreciate everything that you're doing right now. And uh, and definitely, again, like looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better. So I've got your bio here off to the side, but I try to keep things very organic and just, sure. just off, man. So tell us a little bit about who you are, Pete, and and, uh, and then a little bit of your background and then we'll get more into your your working in the mental health space. Sure. Well, you know, I think what triggered me reaching out is, first of all, believe in the mission, right? And and, and totally believe that this is an area that we've neglected both from a a corporate standpoint for years. But the fact that we're not, you know, handling this appropriately for people who sacrifice for our country when they when they end their service to me, there's no there's no greater population that that needs this attention and should be top priority. So when I saw your mission and saw some of your, your content, I thought, geez, I, I got to talk to John and learn more. First of all, I'm always fascinated by talking to people that have been in special ops. It's just, it's great, right? It, it's like your childhood hero on, on a screen right in front of me. You're not quite Charlie Sheen, but you're almost as good looking, John. <laughs> I believed the movie. I thought it was real. There's uh, actually a, a picture that I saw of Charlie Sheen recently. He was in a picture, um, obviously, like I just said, getting getting a picture of a Navy SEAL, painted by a Navy SEAL, and it was being presented to him by a Navy SEAL. And at the same time, Charlie Sheen had a, a Navy SEAL hat on. So I was like, wow, that, I don't know if that, that picture could get any more Navy SEAL. <laughs> I, I can't even get my head around what happened there. That's awesome. 
Well, yeah, you know, sorry again, to interrupt your flow, man. No, that's okay. My background is is inconsequential, but uh, I have uh, I have an engineering background and an MBA, and, and I'm a, I'm a frustrated uh, engineer in a salesperson's body. So <laughs> I probably spent more of my time building and running businesses as the front of the customer. And ten years ago, I launched a company called Rival Health uh, to help employers really lean into the health of their employees. And, and that was more than mental, physical, nutritional, emotional. It was the whole package. So we would develop content and modules to help people recognize that, you know, if you're happy at work, you're probably going to be happier at home and vice versa. 100%. And it, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's not a short putt. I mean, there are EAP programs out there, but there's such a stigma around that. And people, you know, they're, they're nervous about reaching out. They don't, they're not sure if it's the right time to reach out or what the services are all about. So I wanted to bring it more mainstream. And then when I saw what you guys are doing at Veterans Path, I thought, well, here's somebody that's that's really stepped out there that's that's trying to preach a message that I think fortunately today people are more receptive to. I think more people are are open to this discussion. So I think it's a great time for you guys to be, you know, leaning in on your cause. Because the need is there. I mean, it is. Uh, well, well uh, I think that's that's a, a big part of it. People are willing to experiment with other modalities of healing because mm -hmm. so many people are stressed, so many people are anxious, so many people are depressed. And then also, I mean, there, there's, there is a performance enhancing aspect to what it is we teach too. And I mean, with your, your being in corporate, um, that's, that's often something that people are, are looking for. They're looking for that edge. And they sometimes that's, that's how they come into finding these practices. And then the byproduct is, oh yeah, it also helped me feel happier and healthier. Uh, both at work and at home. And so I, I think people are, are being a much more open to it because the need is there and, uh, and people are talking about it more openly. So it, as that happens more and more, I mean, as we have shows like this, sure. it's, yeah. it's going to break the, down that stigma more and more. So tell us about rival health first. What, so how did, how did you come about deciding to found that or be a sure. part of that? Yeah. Well, uh, so you'll appreciate this based on the training you've gone through. I, I was always the fit guy at work. So people would come up to me and say, how do you, you got three kids, you got a dog. How do you do that? Right. How, can you help me get fit? So I would take it pretty seriously, right? Because it, I would be approached by Joan, the 65 year old receptionist who's never exercised a day in her life. And then Billy, the 23 year old former college lacrosse player. Well, what those two people need to do are very different. So I would go home at night and sit down and spend hours developing a detailed exercise and nutrition plan. And I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way to do this. So back in 2008, a friend of mine dared me to do P90X. Um, <laughs> dare me to do anything, I'll probably try it. So I, I did every day for 90 days. I did every rep Tony did because if I say I did it, I want to say I did it. Yep. And I finished it and I thought, well, it's one size fits all. I mean, all of us are doing the same thing, which is crazy. I mean, most people put the first disc in and didn't get through the warm up on disc one and put it away and said, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Nutrition plan was the same. So I, I, I said to my wife, I think I could build something better and I think I can do it in software. So I quit my job. We sold our house, took all of our college funds, raised a bunch of credit card debt. It was the dumbest thing you could ever do, John. Don't ever do this. <laughs> Scary. You're 40 years old and you, you throw it all into it. And that's how I do everything. So fortunately, I'm married way above my station in my wife's been great. And so have been my kids, but I literally sat down at my kitchen table 
and started writing a database to figure out the nutritional algorithms. And then I built a five camera, full live HD TV studio, and we shot 300 exercise tutorial videos and built out for two years. We spent two years building on a software platform that will create a customized exercise nutrition plan for any single user all the way down to the macronutrients and deliver it to them every single day. Wow. And then I got a patent on how to measure whether or not it worked. That's the big thing, right? Yeah. Are you fit? Metrics. So I, I developed a patent called the rival rating that would measure you objectively against other people in your age and gender and tell you where you fit in fitness relation to them so we can measure an outcome for our customers. And ran that for 10 years almost and then merged it with another company in 2017. And there was two of everybody. And I said, I'll stick around for a while, but I'm ready to move on and do something else. And so I, I walked quietly out the back door and <laughs> company's doing great team's still there. They're, they're awesome people and they've got a great mission. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, you walk out the back door. What's your plan when you're walking out that back door? Uh, just to get out the door. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, you, when you, when you start a company, it, it is a 24 seven operation and it's a grind. Uh, I learned a lot and you know, I think I, I, I was invigorated by working with people in a small company environment. So the company I'm with now, it was founded literally by a, one of my friends at the exact same time I started rival health. And so we were having coffee at, after that, he said, look, it's time for you to come do this with me. And that was a Thursday. Tuesday had a chair and a computer. And nobody even knew what the hell I was doing there. <laughs> it's it's kind of evolved from there. So in my day job, I help uh, organizations sell their products and services online. Um, and we do pretty comprehensive, complex digital marketing strategies on Google, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. And then by night, I'm a amateur podcaster trying to help people, leaders and entrepreneurs figure out what the heck's, you know, what the heck's next. That's really yeah. the goal. I want to go back to that grind that you mentioned, kind of mm -hmm. dig in on that a little bit. How was that for you mentally? How was it for your family mm -hmm. and the relationships in, in your family? So uh, really, uh, I, I don't think financially, I might have different thoughts on, you know, going all in financially, but from a family perspective, I will never have a regret. So the way I describe it is, I was doing pretty well in, in most of the companies I worked for and had been fortunate to be promoted young and fast and made good money. But I think that that allowed my wife and I to take, particularly me, not my wife. My wife's probably had her eye on the ball the whole time, but I took my eye off the ball, right? I was, I was, I spent 200 nights in a Marriott in two different years, right? That's crazy. And traveled all over the world and received a lot of recognition. We won a lot of awards, got a lot of press. But I don't think I was paying attention to what mattered. And that was really how we were raising our kids. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, by the way, to, most people wouldn't have noticed it, but it's the nuances, John, right? Sure. It's, the, it's the politeness, it's the respect, it's the appreciation for the little things. You know, when we, 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 are, we live in a nice affluent community and it's hard not to get used to everybody having nice affluent things. So when you see somebody driving, a, you know, a 1986 Ford Taurus with no hubcaps on it and rust all over, um, I can actually relate to that person now. So I went without a salary for a couple of years. Uh, we literally got to a point where my wife would have to call me and say, can I buy toilet paper today? Do we have enough money in the account? Wow. And... That may sound trite, but that happened for about three or four years. That's a tough thing to put your wife in. My wife didn't sign up for that, right? She 
That was not part of the plan. But a couple interesting things happened. We started to connect differently as, as a couple because a lot, of the, a lot of the noise filtered out. We had to get to know each other really, really well emotionally and be there for each other. And she was amazing. My kids started to really understand the difference between a need and a want. And I've actually had a couple of friends say, I wish I would have been able to give my kids that lesson. And a great story I share is my kids for even all the way through high school would get a new pair of $20 van tennis shoes and they would sleep with them, right? That was a big deal. Getting a pair of tennis shoes for them was like a huge win. And they got friends that have closets with dozens of them. Sure. So my youngest son used to, uh, he's a big reader. And I told him, if you read a book, I will take you to see the movie if you've read the book. Oh, wow. That was our trade-off. And by the way, it was, it sounds like it was a really great parent. He loved to read. So it wasn't like, wasn't like I was the greatest parenting move, but it was an agreement we had. I love it. And during this period of time, he had read a book and we were going to go see the movie and it was at the dollar theater. And I'm not exaggerating, John, I had uh, $3 and 53 cents to my name. And they went, it was all in my pocket at that time. Wow. And we went in there and I said, you can buy one item. And then we're going to go into the movie theater. So he picked out a box of, I don't know, jelly beans or something. And we're standing in line and I'm watching other families do their grocery shopping in a dollar store. And I thought to myself, I would never have noticed this before. Now, by the way, I did this to myself. I didn't lose my job. I, you know, I didn't have a physical challenge. I chose to be an entrepreneur. So I'm doing this intentionally. Sure. It still sucked. But my son now knew the importance of a dollar. Like right. a dollar was a big deal to him. And he beamed when we went in the movie. He didn't, he didn't, it, it, it was a big deal to him. And so those, and I, I can't say that I started a company to create those life lessons. I'm <laughs> not that smart. But, you know, we've turned a lot of lemons into lemonade through that process. And my daughter wrote an essay for a scholarship application her senior year in high school. And she paid our rent one summer by working. Um, before college, she paid our rent for that summer. Wow. She got scholarship. <laughs> 18 year old kids paying their family's rent to Beautiful. get through that. It was a great story. So, you know, that you asked what the impact was in the family, where, where my head was at, that's where it was. It took us, it took us a couple of years to get the business up and running. We ended up hiring, you know, almost 30 people, you know, in, in generating a profit and growing a business. It's all, all great things, but um, I don't think you plan for that when you go in. Sure. But it's, I mean, it sounds like it was a stressful time, but mm -hmm. many valuable, valuable lessons came from it, kind of like trial by fire. And, and your family has been through that fire and now has come out better because of it. That's Not it. just better in the, in the fact that they understand the value of a dollar, but I think they most likely have compassion for their fellow human beings. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you had been, um, rolling around in, in a very expensive car, living in a very expensive house, having those dozens of vans, shoes in their closet. You don't understand the value of a dollar or one, but you also right. quite often forget the value of a human being and yeah. what it is they are going through and um, just the, the life that they're leading. So uh, yeah, you didn't set out with those lessons being planned, but it sounds like it was very valuable in the long run. It was uh, the um, 
you know, the big guy upstairs, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll straighten out every once in a while when you need it. And, uh, you know, we, we've been very fortunate that when we have been straightened out, um, you know, there's usually been a lesson or someone there. I can, I can tell you another interesting time where we were really struggling financially. And whenever that happened, whenever we were at a point where we didn't think we could kind of get through to the other side to make payroll, to help everybody out, there was always, always someone there to help. And, you know, one of my earlier investors, who's a tremendous guy, uh, he knew what a challenge was. We had missed one of our investors backed out and he knew the situation we were in and that I wasn't taking salary to keep the employees, you know, taken care of. And he said, uh, hey, drive by my mailbox on, on Tuesday night. And the kids were in the back of the car. We drove by, I looked in the mailbox. It was just an envelope. It said, Pete, open it up. And he said, um, this is not a loan. This is for you because I believe in you and I know you will pay it forward someday. Um, God bless. And it was a check for $5,000. Wow. And I kid you not, John, um, my wife was driving. I actually broke down in tears in the front seat. And I was trying to make my, my, my kids not see this, you know, dad's losing it. But I, <laughs> I, I literally have never felt, I, I had never in my entire life felt that level of compassion or genuine charity from another human being. I've never felt that way. And I tell that story often, and I will reach out to this gentleman every every so often and say that I've been reminded of that act, or I've seen that act, or what a, you know what a big deal it was, and you know that was just a subtle, subtle thing. And and the note he wrote had just as much to do with the dollars that were in the check, but that allowed my family to pay rent and feed us for literally the next couple of months and get through that challenge, and then and then you know land another customer. So, yeah. When nice. you see that, when you see those things, it, it has an impact on, on you as well. For sure. And how did you end up paying it forward in, in the long run? So what I have uh, done is um, at various different times met other entrepreneurs who are struggling with their business and have been <clears throat> o- very open to helping them, whether it's time or money, particularly they're craving time, right? They need help uh, or I was coaching. just about to say that time quite often is worth way more than the money. Yeah. And I'll spend as much time as they, as they need. So this, you know, that is, but I, it's the same kind of thing. If, if they need help and I can be there for them, I don't care if it's helping them wire up a light in their office or coach them on the next business deal or help them through their finances. And now I volunteer at an organization called uh, Dorcas Ministries here in town where um, we have started a program called, it's part of the launch your city program. And we help people who would maybe struggle with starting a business who haven't had a job and want to start a company. We run students through this program. We're in our third year and we volunteer uh, myself and and three other gentlemen and the woman helps us run the program. And every Monday night we bring them in and we walk them through a 10 week course on how to start a business. Nice. And then we launch them out and, and some of them make it, some of them don't, and some then come back and be mentors for following classes. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it, there, and by the way, we get as much out of that as they do. Of course. I have to tell you, yeah. we do. Sometimes more. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, yeah, great people. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Is that Launch Your City? Is that uh, an initiative that's nationwide or something? It is. I think it actually started, I want to say, in Detroit. But uh, there is a launch. There's probably a dozen cities around the Raleigh-Durham area and all over the country that launched together. Um Dorcas was looking to do this themselves. And then we came across this program and then basically just, you know, went to them and said, Hey, could we, could we use the program and co-sponsor it? And, and that's what we've done. 
Nice. So it's partnered with the local technical colleges. Um, and, and by the way, the, the, the rotaries, the chambers get involved. So many people volunteer their time, donate food, fund it. And it's free, absolutely free to the students. They can earn a scholarship when they're finished and actually help them fund a, com- fund a computer, get, get out of the, you know, and then their mentor stays with them for a long time. So uh, I'm amazed when I see people in these type of organizations. And the biggest part of Dorcas is their counseling group. That, and when I watch these people, whether they're dealing with someone who's been abused or lost their job or depressed or whatever, and they come in there and they will help them with anything. They will help them find a job. They have a local store there. You can, if you need to feed your family or get toilet paper or whatever, you can come in and take anything out of that store for free as long as you enroll in the program. Wow. And they help and, and allow them to help you. They don't want to, they don't want to, you know, they want to give you a hand up rather than a handout. And nice. You know, John, you deal with this. When you see someone who can have a conversation with someone about the the worst moments in their lives, most people have a gift. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And how is that funded? Uh, so they they're they're tremendous fundraisers. Uh, a friend of mine actually, how I found out about it is my former CFO went there to be their CFO, and he's completely restructured their balance sheet. They own their buildings, they have built assets, and they are tremendous fundraisers. And um, they're constantly raising money and they work a lot with the local other charities and other churches in the area and do a lot of coordination. So it's a really, really well-run organization. Beautiful, beautiful. And then in, in, your, in your bio that you shared with me prior to the show, talks about your, your podcast, which I want to get into here shortly, mm-hmm. um, but then helping leaders and entrepreneurs bring emotional intelligence, empathy, and mindfulness to developing teams. How did you decide upon those being the things that you wanted to bring to teams and share that with entrepreneurs? You know, I think it comes back to translating parenting into the workplace. So um, the lesson I've shared, I think in my episode, one of my episodes, I actually brought this up and I think I I might've been a guest in the podcast, but I'll share it again is I I have three kids, you know, they're all very different. How old are your kids, John? You've got kids, three, right? Three and one. Oh, you're you're just getting into it, brother. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. Got a late start. So uh, I'm I'm going to be a grandparent any 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 year now. So pretty soon, I think that's going to happen. And yeah. uh, my kids are all up and out of the house. One of them's married, and, and but when they were younger, it was amazing to me how different all three were. It's just like having three people on your team as an employer or as a manager. They're all very different people. By the way, in that situation, they come from completely different backgrounds at least in my house, there was a common base to begin with, right? Of thought leadership and, and everything. But I had a, you know, my, my son was a, a newly formed teenager and I was working on my startup in a pretty difficult, stressful time. I was working on one side of the room. He was working on the other. He often did his homework and we would help out. And he maybe got a little snippy with me and I let off a verbal tirade, John, that <laughs> the rest of my family watched like, dad, just, because you know, I'm pretty like this all the time. But if I crack the seal... Yeah, yep. I cracked the seal. And I said to my wife afterwards, I felt horrible. And I said, that that can't work. That that's mm-hmm. I'm not reaching him. I'm he's he's 13. He doesn't know how to communicate. I should know better. And so it was a real gut check for me to think about how do I make sure we can communicate effectively? And it doesn't have it doesn't do with being right or wrong or not taking a stand and believing in your beliefs. You can do all those things and not be a communicator, good communicator, and you lose. So when you mentioned emotional intelligence and empathy in the workplace, I've seen so many poor examples of that. 
and very few good examples. So I became fascinated and wanted to be able to share people or organizations that have cracked that code. And I don't think you ever truly crack it, but at least lean into it yeah. and, and help them share their lessons about, you know, what it can take to reach a, an audience, motivate them, hold them accountable, but do it in a way that they want to follow you. Right. And I, I did a LinkedIn post two days ago that said, would you run through a brick wall for your leader? Why, why not, not? Many, not many would or not many would rather not many would right and yeah. and that doesn't mean you have to be the most popular but i think some of the more successful amazing leaders out there did it because there was a tremendous amount of respect right you can you don't have to like someone necessarily but if you respect them and you believe in what their cause is even though they may not you know you may not want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with them because you don't agree you'll run through a wall for them yeah. So that's the that's the that's what gets me excited is sharing those lessons, learning those lessons, and trying to master that craft. Because I'm I'm a student of the process and failing miserably in a lot of ways, but always trying to get better at it. Yeah, and it's only failing miserably if you're if you're not learning from it. Correct. So, yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. How how are you going about teaching these lessons to these developing teams? What does that look like? So I think I, I try to do it a couple of different ways. The most important is by example. So in every interaction with my team, um, I'm trying to think of what are my weaknesses? What am I not doing well? And how do I address that? And then how do I practice what I preach with them? So, <clears throat> you know, and sometimes it's, it's, well, I'll just tell you one of my, a couple of my biggest weaknesses are is I'm a very trusting person. So I, 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 my leash of trust is very long. I'll pull it back in when necessary, probably not fast enough sometimes. Yeah, but I well, truly that's believe- not necessarily a bad thing. It could get you burned, but I think ultimately it's a good thing. Yeah, I think probably the bad thing is that two times I've been burned were really bad. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> cost, me, cost me a lot, right? So I'm, but I, but it, but it's funny. It hasn't changed my outlook. I, 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 I it hasn't, it hasn't caused me to be an untrusting person. Um, you know, I, I've, I've read a lot of books, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the training you guys go through, right? As a special operations, you know, leader, there's so much about trust and emotional intelligence and leadership. When you're standing next to somebody who is going to put their life on the line for you, there's that level of trust is not something we ever experienced in the workplace. Right. And there's a lot of um, writing about how you have to extend the trust, earn the trust. So I have a lot of respect for that process and I try to carry it into our teams I think the other thing is I try to share with them anytime I find something of value outside of our company. So it's an article, it's an example or a story. I share that immediately. And then I highlight, Hey, this is something that I thought was really compelling. Please read it, you know, and and by the way, digest it on your own. And I, and I think if we, if we stop learning in any aspect of our careers, uh, we're destined to fail pretty quickly. So I think it's an evolving process. Nice. I love it. And now your, your podcast, what is the topic uh, or theme of the podcast and how did you decide that you were going to start doing that in your, in your off time, which it doesn't sound like you have a lot of with three kids and everything else you're doing. But my nights and weekends are pretty busy with the podcast. <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's a funny, humiliating story. So uh, about eight months ago now, I was with our VP of sales and, and we went to see a customer that he had signed years ago. And then he left the company to do a private equity thing was successful there. And we got him back. And while he was gone, we lost this customer. 
So he said, we're going to go in and back. So we literally drove to see them. Nice people, intelligent people, but for about two hours, they served us a pretty big helping of crow. I mean, we ate a lot of crow for a couple hours. Yeah. I couldn't think of any other way to describe it. So we're driving back in the car and I said, Bob, I don't believe I'm going to do this. I've never done this before. I'm going to shoot a quick video in the car. So I shot, I just pulled up my camera and said, Hey, it's Bob and Pete. We're driving back. We ate some crow today. And little story about it, put the title up on the top of the video. We ate crow today and the doggone thing went viral. I mean, people loved yeah. it because it was pretty rough and you know, not many people put the worst, worst versions of themselves online. And we, we basically had a video for two minutes that said we sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but we said, we're going to win this customer back. It's a good lesson. You know, you need to pay attention. So it went viral. A bunch of people hit me up and said, Pete, I've loved following you. I would, I would listen to a podcast if you would talk about that. If you would, if you would help people share their stories of failure or hard lessons and how that helped them turn their lives around, people would listen to that. And, you know, I got one of those. I thought that's kind of neat. They're a friend of mine. I got started to get some more of them and I thought, well, maybe there's something to it. So in June, um, I am, I'm not a young man, so I don't know. I sat down and Googled, how do you start a podcast? Yep. I've been there. <laughs> right. You, you, you just do it. Yep. So I, I pulled out a Google sheet. I listed, here's the 25 things you need to do. And I started checking them off and I, I'll be curious if you experienced this. So I'm going to, I'm going to question back to the, to the Please. podcast host themselves. Episode zero was the hardest thing for me to do. Episode zero, I, I felt anxiety about, yeah, and I and I went into it with a script, like yeah. like mm -hmm. all my questions written down, um, and th that helped, I think, overcome the anxiety. But it, I think you could also tell that it wasn't fully organic, completely authentic sure. discussion, um, and then getting getting listeners to listen <laughs> right to that first show that I. Who is this guy? Why yeah. does he Why does he have a podcast? Why do I want to listen to it? Yeah. Um, so figuring out a way to brand it and then share it and then get the listeners. So yeah, in, the, in that respect, episode zero was yeah the hardest. Yeah. Now, now I now I like scribble notes on on a piece of paper in front of me <laughs> as you're talking and and hope we're real time podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you yeah. know, in my episode zero was just me, which I'd never done before. I I just literally said, I'm gonna. By the way, the first thing they said is you need to tell people who you are. So my episode zero was just me for 12 minutes, describing why I'm doing this and what my target audience is. And great idea. Great. Idea. I did it. Well, if you listen to it, you might might not think it's such a good idea when you listen to it. I have no idea. But uh, I, I did it in two takes. So the first one sucked. And and I thought, I'm not being myself, right? I'm I'm reading this. I've got to take 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 my time, pause. And I did it and I actually felt decent about it, right? I had a friend of mine say, Don't delete that. That's really that that's why I'm listening to the podcast. I have discovered this though. So I'm on uh, epi I'll finish episode 25 season one ends up in this month and I go into season two next year and I've got probably another 30 episodes in production and I'm really pleased with the guest list but I find myself editing almost everything I say out of the episodes really and it, it's that just takes because, a lot of time John way too much yeah. <laughs> and and it's probably not it's not every 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 I don't by the way for the first all right, is anybody? I didn't edit anything. I just I put the header, the the intro, the outro, the graphics, put it up there and let it run. Yeah. And then I and I was as I was recording a recent episode, that the guest was it was not a conversation. 
Like this is a conversation. We're having a good conversation. Yeah. Your, your question, I would ask a question. This person would pause <clears throat> quite a bit and the answers were very thoughtful, but it wasn't a dialogue. It was a very simple exchange. And I found that I was trying to fill in that void and make it conversational. So as I was listening to it, I didn't plan to edit it that much. I literally thought, geez, Pete, that was stupid. That's going out. That was stupid. That's going out. And then when I finished it, it was shorter, but it was a lot better. I mean, it was, huh. it was a better podcast because I shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I'm rethinking well, how I do it now, right? Like I'm thinking. Yeah. That's maybe, what I tell a lot of my guests before we start, uh, you know, Hey, if I can get through this whole episode and not say a single thing besides welcome to the show, Pete, and, and then you just start talking, then, Hey, that's a win for me. Yeah. The uh, best cause, ones cause, are you just let it roll and get out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and then I have, I have guests who apologize at the end. They're like, man, I did a lot of talking. I'm like, well, that's what I brought you on the show to do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what I wanted. The, so. To me, what we're doing right here and, and I haven't found a hobby and I've been doing this for five months now, and it takes a lot of time. This is one of the most enjoyable things I've ever done because I get to meet really wonderful people, right? Who have something right. to say, right? It's awesome. Yeah, and I think um, having a hobby is so important. Uh, right. We we talk about, uh, or I talk about the eight F's of of mental health. Okay. And I won't, I won't run through all eight of them right now because I'll, I'll miss one, but it, <laughs> it has something to do with fitness, faith, sure. family, friends, finances, and another one of them is fun yes. and focus. Mm. And if, if you can have something that you're having fun with and you're focused on that, so you talk about filtering out the noise earlier in the show, that helps to filter out that noise. You know, you yeah. sit down, my wife's a big woodworker. The pod, the podcast is one of my hobbies. Sure, uh, you know those those are our hobbies and they're fun to us. Mm-hmm. And when I'm doing them, or when my wife's doing the woodwork, that's what we're thinking about. And we're not thinking about the the stressors of everyday life. We're not thinking about the noise that fills our lives by watching too much news or or whatever the right. case may be. Right. And and it helps us to settle our minds, settle our spirits, and settle our bodies. And I think having that hobby. I, you know, the people are probably wondering when they first started listening to our conversation, like, what does this have to do with mental health, meditation, and mindfulness? Having that hobby is mindfulness. Having that hobby to focus on through your day, through your week, whatever, however often it is you're doing it, that is a form of being mindful and being able to tune out all the noise and focus on that signal of life. So oh, I, uh, I, love what, I love what you're doing, man. I love it. I couldn't agree more. And what, what's good about this discussion and, and your podcast in general is we have to figure out how to do this in our everyday lives, right? Mental health isn't something you put in a box. I'm going to go see my, my counselor or whoever it is. And then when I leave, I'm done with mental health now. Right? <laughs> nope. Mental nope. health happens. And the way I describe it is life throws some pretty tough stuff at you. And you have to figure out how to have some gas in the tank for the times where you need to dig a little deeper so that you can run a little faster and a little harder at times, but you can't run up here all the time. And whether it's a hobby or meditation or prayer or something else that you can step outside of your spirit and your soul, to, I, for me, it's all about perspective. So to me, that's where I bring a lot of perspective into my world by thinking about, you know, I, I don't want to say we're all small, but man, this world's much bigger than me. 
And there's always going to be someone who's facing a challenge worse than I'm, than I'm, than I'm facing right now. And when you look around at the family and the friends and the support that you have that sometimes you take for granted and don't think about, that's where the mental, you know, the mental health comes into play and the mindfulness comes into play. Uh, sometimes just even listening to a podcast, I'm not suggesting mine, but there are really tremendous podcasts out there that I've listened to that I'm decompressing while I'm listening to it. And then I find yeah. something valuable in there and I'm like, holy cow, that's a great point. And, you know, you, you got to weave your way into whatever that podcast is, but for your wife, maybe she's going to ride to, you know, ride to the grocery store and listen to a woodworking podcast. They said, well, this is how yeah. you do double beveled backward router slot cut. I don't know. <laughs> Never thought of that. <laughs> My dad was a carpenter. So I, I, I could appreciate that. I was going to say, wow, you pulled that out. <laughs> That's uh, part of being in sales, man. You remember the strangest <laughs> things at the strangest times, but yeah, it it is. Uh, uh, I'm a one of the things that my wife has brought to the table consistently and so well throughout my travel, throughout our kids' sports. And your kids are going to get into this, right? My kids played college soccer. They they've been very involved with it. But every night, no matter one when one of the kids came home, there was a family dinner, and sometimes nice. that meant one parent with two kids, and then when that other kid got home, a parent with that kid. But we always sat down there. In mental health, I firmly believe this. I will, I don't have any data to prove this. This is my gut feel. Starts in the parent-child relationship. In, yep, I would what, absolutely agree. Yeah, what my wife and I have observed is, back to that lesson I had with my son, right? If I hadn't pivoted right then and there and recognized that I need to do something different, it would have created years and years of really bad tension between my son and I. And who knows what could happen? Right. But where my wife started to really identify some crafty thesis was we'd be at the dinner table. And by the way, women and mothers in general have a radar that men don't have. <laughs> right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I picture it. Well, let's go back to Charlie Sheen. Remember God, right? He was up top and he could see everything. And yeah. God, are you see through the walls? Yeah. Mothers can do that. They can sense danger. So if her radar, if my, if my wife's radar is up with one of the kids, man, I pay attention. She's like, ah, something's going on with Vinny. Something's going on with Sammy. I think Sydney. At dinner, she could pick up on it. And with three kids, one might be really quiet at dinner. And we know something probably happened that day at school, at practice, or with a buddy or something. And we kind of let, we. if that happened one day, fine. But if we got four or five days of that, then we started to recognize a pattern. Then we dig in. And then another time at dinner, another kid be really talkative. I had a great day. They're sharing their story. By the way, when that happens, like you sit back and just let it, just let it come, man. Right? That's awesome. When you get that kind of engagement at a kid, you encourage it. You ask more questions. Yeah. But we were we're recognizing patterns. And I had a guy on the podcast. His name is Rich Font. He was such a pleasant surprise. Uh, served in the Air Force, by the way, but started his own creative photography business. And he, nice. he, he had such great lessons as a father. He always said, Pete, I have opportunities. And what he meant is I have opportunities to improve, but he shared this one tidbit. And I think this is a foundation of true mental health, emotionally, spiritually, for any young kid as they become a parent. He said, Pete, I could be working and I'm trying to edit a video. And if I know one of my kids' doors is closed, I've got to go in. Wow. And he said, it might be I just open the door and say, hey, Joni, are you okay? 
would you like to play some Xbox or do you want to go for a walk or Timmy, you want to go play catch? And he goes, I could tell in that first reaction what that, what was going to be next, right? Either I could tell there was something wrong and he spent some time. I could tell they just needed a space or whatever. When he said that, cause it's, it's a, it's a big belief I have as a parent. I said, Rich, you did something there. There's two things you did that are so amazing that most parents do not do. I said, number one, you noticed. That's so, you noticed. Because there's a lot of parents like, hey, Junior's quiet. He's up in his room watching TV. Great, I can get some work done. Yeah, Whoa. yeah. We never, let our kid, we never let our kids have a TV in the room. That can never be the parent. Never let them have a TV in the room. You're going to watch television. It's going to be in front of me and you do your homework at the kitchen table. Because uh, uh, disappearing your room is not never an option in our house. Yeah, good. But number, after observing it, you know what he did? He got up and did something about it. I said, that's the harder one. The first one's subconscious. You have to train yourself to do it. The second one takes effort because you're tired. You had a long day. You got 20 more minutes to finish that video or that podcast. And you stopped and got up and went engaged with your kid. Yeah. So well, powerful. Between empathy and compassion, right? Yeah. I mean, em empathy is understanding what that other person's feeling and, and feeling like bringing those feelings in and feeling yeah. them yourself. Whereas compassion is doing that but then taking it one step further and wanting to do something about it, change it, contribute to it. And it wraps into emotional intelligence, which is yep. understanding all those areas, but also understanding how you then interact with them <laughs> and how that creates a reaction in them, right? You can't, parenting is, a, is such a complex thing. It's a never ending process. We're always learning. I think we forget that, right? There's no playbook. Every kid's different. Every family's different. Every environment's different. Every employee, every, every team you work on is different. So that's uh, that's something we try to uncover in the Eating Crow podcast. So, you know, you had a methodology of the questions you wanted to ask me, which, by the way, were very good. My questions, typically, I do the same thing. I frame it up, and then I ask everybody to come on the show. And since you're going to be on next week, you got to bring your two. I ask them to share with me two moments in their life where they had to completely rethink their position or their frame of mind and make a pivot, professionally or personally, and say, I've got this wrong. Yeah. It's hard to do, right? And then ultimately make the change. And those are the moments, I think to me, that's where the meat is. Those are the moments where people are starting to impact others' lives. Because if you look around our, our environment, both politically or anywhere in, in the country, if we can't have a conversation with somebody who has a different opinion, we're screwed. Yeah. Right? And, and, and what a time to mention that right now. Exactly. I mean, I, just having wrapped up the election and about votes still being counted. Yeah. But if we can't have a conversation with somebody who has voted for the other person mm -hmm. and I won't say one way or the other. I'm just sure. going to say in general, if mm -hmm. we can't have a conversation, then what are we doing wrong? Right. And, and what, what crow can we eat so that we can change our perspective and then change the way that we carry on with that, that person or carry on in life. hundred percent. And, and I, I tell people eating crow doesn't mean you have to change your belief or back off on your values. It just right. means you have to, as much as possible, understand where that person is coming from. Because by the way, their beliefs might be set on in the way they were raised, where they were raised, and everything around them. They're ingrained. It doesn't mean they're stupid or a bad person. It just means they don't agree with you. Right, right. I don't know. Did you happen to see the the thing that I posted this morning on LinkedIn? I did. It was, it was about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, about the fact that we have certain beliefs because of the circumstances that we live through in our life. That Absolutely. doesn't mean that we're dumb. Right. It doesn't mean that we're uh, not caring. Mm -hmm. We could be, we could be highly intelligent and care a lot, but, yeah. have, but have different perspectives, different beliefs than somebody else.
Well, that, some that, of my closest friends, some are highly educated, very respectful people from all walks of life, and we have very different political views. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. we, in by the way, we rarely go deep there <laughs> because yeah. it's probably just not worth it. But when we do, <laughs> when we do, we can we can laugh with each other, we can tease each other about our beliefs, and and then we can raise thoughtful, deepful questions. And then people go, "Yeah, I, I hadn't considered that, but okay, I still yeah. believe what I believe." And and I, you know, if we could just as a society recognize, man, we got a long ways to go there. And, and yeah. hopefully we can, hopefully we can all figure it out. Cause uh, it's We've got to so much more in common. We've got so much more in common than we do we different. Do. And if we, we can do. focus on that, that's, that can change yeah, relationships and it can change lives for the better. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, that's, that's really all the questions that I had kind of scribbled on my paper as we were talking. I do have some, uh, discussions that I'll, I'll have with you after I hit uh, stop on the record. One thing I did want to mention, you, you talked about how our, our spouses have radars for the kids. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie inside out. Oh yeah. It's a, yeah. The cartoon. It, yeah. For, the, for those who have not seen it, there's a great scene cartoon uh, movie. I think it's a Pixar movie yep. where uh, the mother and father are sitting down at breakfast i think it is it may be dinner it's dinner with uh with a little girl who's just started a new school she had moved from wisconsin to san francisco and she had had a bad day at school and, and the mother is like probing and understands okay this this little girl something is different and she's like well uh and, and oh, sorry i gotta back up the premise of the movie is that all our emotions are characters inside our brain yes kind of pull, pulling the the strings making us do certain things and the the, the mother is like uh, signal the husband the you know the, the characters in her mind are like signal the husband and uh and she says something to the husband and he's like oh what did i miss uh with yeah. some sports what what happened and then she signals him again and she's like he, he asked the question that she had just asked so of you course. can tell that not only was he not paying attention to his emotions and her emotions but he also wasn't paying attention to the situation at, at all and that i think can quite often happen as men not giving us an out not giving us an excuse but i'm just telling you that's that, that is a difference quite often between men and women is the, uh the, the lack of presence and the lack of emotional intelligence uh, and it's depicted, uh, depicted excellently in that show in that men movie. are men are very much monolithic beings right uh, i yeah. saw a great comedian describe the difference between a man's brain and a woman's brain yeah so he brings he brings out a man's brain he goes this is a man's brain and he has a big box and he takes out, opens the box up, takes out a smaller box. He said, this is, I'm going to clean the garage box. And he goes, we take that box out. We put it on the side. We clean the garage and we put that box back. Yeah. This box here is I'm going to pay the bills box. I put that down. I do that box. Every, only one box comes out at a time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one box. And he went through the whole thing and described different things. And he goes, and this is a woman's brain. Brings out a box, opens up and pulls out a big ball of mangled wire. <laughs> yeah. He goes, yeah. there's way too much going on in here for us to understand. Yeah, right. but, they think, but, but they think differently and, and they, they're able to multitask better. They're uh, able to be in touch with their emotions. And that's another whole show that I could get into. But yeah, yeah. I, I totally, totally understand that analogy. and I love it. It took a while so, for my wife and I to recognize that I was the box and she was the ball of wire. But once we did, we figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Well, Pete, this has been a lot of fun, man. What if we uh, not discussed that you would like to make sure our listeners hear from you? Uh. You know, I think in general, first of all, this is a great cause. And if you think about your own mental health and people around you, if there's a person in your life that you know is struggling or has struggled in the past and you haven't talked to them in a while, 
literally, if you heard this podcast, hit pause, call that person right now. If you leave a voicemail, shoot him an email and try to do that once a week. Think of a person in your life that you might have not talked to a while and just say, I'm just checking in to see how you're doing. You might change their whole world. That, that, the timing of that call might have an effect you could never understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I know that there's some phone calls or emails like that, that I had wished that I had sent or phone sure. calls that I wish that I had made. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I will never be able to make those now. Yeah. Um, so they can literally save lives. So they can. yeah, thank you for that great point, Pete. If people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, LinkedIn. So just Pete Durand at LinkedIn or uh, the website for the podcast is eatingcrow.com. And you can find uh, people way smarter than me talking. And you just <laughs> listening. <laughs> right Thanks, on. John. Right it's on. been great. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure, brother. And until we speak again, stay safe and stay healthy. You got it. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.